0: Hey everybody! This is Geeky Dad's talk about geeky things. I'm JJ Johnson, and joining me back on the show tonight for the third time is David Wright. David, what's going on, man?
1: Man, not a whole lot. Just uh, just trying to enjoy the summer, trying to stay cool. All
0: right, Appreciate excellent. On, excellent. Always enjoy being on your show. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. I I enjoy having you. You're you're always a fun guest to have on. You have a wealth of knowledge, whether it's comic books, Tolkien, and even what we're going to talk about here tonight, which is Your book, the first book in your series, which is the Galahad's Doom series, book one is My Brother's Keeper. I have read this, and I'm really excited about talking to you about this because I think you're doing some incredible things in this book in fantasy.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Appreciate it.
0: All right, everybody, for those of you that are listening, this is going to be episode 47. I'm also going to say that this is going to be sort of the the last show before we take a short break. We try to take a short break uh, about every 20, 25 episodes. And so we're going to take most of August off, and then we'll come back at the end of August, early September. And uh, I have a lot of guests lined up, everybody, uh, going into the Christmas season. Uh, so we're going to continue rocking this. But, you know, your host does need a break from time to time plus i guess some traveling coming up i'm heading to realm makers next That's week uh, actually sweet. yeah well, actually by the time this ep airs which would be the week after realm makers i would have already seen a lot of people uh, but i do have some other book signings and things like that that i'm going to be taking part in and traveling to so i'm going to be on the road a little bit and i just not going to have a lot of time to record so this will be episode 47 this will be the last show for about probably a 5 weeks And then we'll come back. So, all right, David, man, uh, let's talk about your book, My Brother's Keeper, which is book one in your series, Galahad's Doom. That's the name of the series, right?
1: Yeah, Galahad's Doom. That's right.
0: All right. So you're doing some cool things. I mean, this book is, it's a lot, it's some sword and sorcery a little bit. Um, Honestly, if it, I'm just going to throw this out there, somebody I think this has a little bit of the the lit RPG feel to it. I think you could really market it to that. Um, There's a little bit of hint of, you know, some Narnia, some Tolkien, some Dragonlance. Um, You have everything in this book, man. You got elves, you got dwarves, you have the politics, you have knights, you have devotion to religion. You have even the propaganda that is spread among people. And the people who buy into these propaganda ideas, you even have a hint of dystopia. And David, I'm going to say you're doing one of the things I've never seen done in fantasy before. And I thought this was amazing. You sort of have this Vegas sort of element with this gambling, this city called the uh, Forbidden Fruit or whatever (laughs) It was incredible. I have not seen that done in fantasy, and I absolutely loved it. We're going to talk about that. You're talking about the challenges of creating war in this story and what goes into a war effort. And I love this because a lot of fantasy, they don't talk about this either. And so, you know, sometimes you get it and, hey, we're going to war and there's this big battle, but nobody talks about what it takes to really have a war effort and to build weapons and things like that. So I think that's really unique what you're doing there. You got all sorts of creatures. You got giants, you got different races, and of course you have magic as well. So why don't you just real quick, uh, we're not going to stay away from spoilers or try to stay away from spoilers, but give us a brief overview to our listeners, sort of your pitch for this book. What in your opinion is this all about?
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, so Galahad's Doom—it's an epic sword and sorcery fantasy, but it's also Christian themed. And so, what we have is a world where the Bible and some teachings of Christianity have made its way there. And um, I, on someone—it's interesting that you say lit RPG. I definitely cut my teeth on the Red Box D&D Basic Set in the early '80s. Um, and, and played that and I played first and second edition advanced d d for a few years back in the 80s and um I was I was 11 12 years old at the very height of the media scare for um how evil d d was and all this kind of stuff how it was satanic and causing kids to commit suicide it was all very ridiculous I mean you you'd hear the the, the satanic panic in the media yeah but you know i I was in a Christian home. I was going to Sunday school and church every week, but on Friday nights, I'm with my nerdy friends playing D and D and it was nothing like they're saying, right. It's just, it's just yeah. numbers. It's just math nerds with weird looking dice. Um, so I thought that was just kind of, uh, it was ridiculous. Um, and then, uh, you know, fast forward 20 years and you have the Lord of the Rings movies coming out and you have a lot of the same type of conservative watchdog groups praising the Lord of the Rings for its Christian themes. And i just didn't quite see that either other than the the broad terms of good versus evil i didn't see a lot even though i know that that you know tolkien was a believer i, di- I didn't see that in lord of the rings so much um and i, I basically i didn't see the devil in dnd and i didn't see jesus in lord of the rings but it was fascinating to me that there was this space for uh where in fantasy the thoughts and the conversation quickly turns to religion or spiritual beliefs. And there are a lot of conservative groups that are against fantasy or anything with an element of magic in it for that very reason. And I just felt like that was worth exploring whether I agreed with them or not. That felt like something to lean into. And so if there's anybody, if there are any, um, anybody out there who's uncomfortable with magic in their fantasy stories because of the warnings that the bible has against witchcraft and things like that then i would say don't be scared of this book because that's the very dramatic central con the central dramatic conflict of my story i I leaned into that specifically so uh i guess i'm giving you a long answer but the, the short pitch for this is imagine a world a fantasy world with magic but you know you have the Bible in it and like magic is real. And you really got to like reckon, you know, deal with this, where are the conflicts that arise? Um, you know, so I-, I had to make a couple of decisions early on was like, is this just a version of the Bible that's unique to this world? You know, because the Bible, you know, mentions real world places like Israel and Egypt and whatever else. And it's like, okay, is this going to be a fantasy version of earth that still has places by those names? Or is this just a different book that we're using as a stand-in for the Bible? I didn't want to do any of that. So I came up with a backstory that basically brought the Bible from the world of Adam, from our world, into this world. Mm-hmm. And um, we pick up the story a couple of hundred years later. So we see where this new religion, and by the way, it was Sir Galahad who who brought this these teachings and brought this book of Scripture to this world. And so... It was a case of um, th- his teachings, you know, spread and took root, and now there there are people that believe in the way, and that, of course, there's others that do not. And so, I wanted this to be an exploration of a fantasy world that actually had Christianity in it, and put our hero in a spot where he has to make a choice between serving the state by serving church or state, you know, his yeah. God or his king. So there
0: you go. Yeah. You know, when I first read this, um, I go to that part where they were talking about the world of Adam, And I, 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 I had a theory. I was like, okay, is this sort of like the Terry Brooks type of model where it's a, uh, you know, the source and where it's set in a futuristic type of earth. Like, you know, Terry Brooks later, I met him a couple of years ago at Realm Makers, and I asked him this. I was like, so did you know that, you know, Shanara was going to be a post-apocalyptic world of our Earth? And, you know, he said in his mind, he always looked at it that way. So I was like, OK, is this a futuristic version? And then I started thinking, OK, no, this is sort of like almost like a C.S. Lewis out of the silent planet where somebody comes to a new world and brings the Bible, but you never call it the Bible, but you're quoting scripture in this, in this story throughout the story. So I thought you did this uh, in a very genius way. And in my opinion, I think you've set yourself up for a good possibly science fiction type story or some sort of story where you can, (laughs) it's Galahad's type of, uh, you know, his book, you know, where he's bringing this, this story, but you know, that's just me putting something you prior are, are working on that, but that's just me throwing an idea out there that I thought that'd be a cool story too, because then you could set up another trilogy for that. So, all right. Now you talked a little bit about some of your influences. Obviously you played D and D you're, you're a big Dragonlance guy, um, big Tracy yep. Hickman. And, uh, is it Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss? that's right yeah okay yeah, so, so
1: uh dragons of autumn twilight came out in 1984. I was 13 years old and at, at probably at the very height of my D&D playing so when autumn twilight came out I ate it up uh I loved it um I knew immediately I knew then in 1984 that I wanted to write a fantasy novel one day um, yeah I, that was just always in the back of my mind as kind of a life goal and um I went years, really, without playing any D&D at all. And um, and in the late 90s, an old playing buddy of mine, we got together and we just and got out some old rule, rule books. And I don't think we had any serious intention of playing, but we, we started messing around. And we ended up rolling up a character for him that was a paladin. So he had always played fighters, which I found to be the most boring class, like just a <laughs> fighter. At this time, he was willing to be a paladin. And I thought that was more interesting. And basically, uh, we had, so I pulled out the like the old campaign world setting and, and put this new character in it. And then, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings movies came out and I started thinking about this theme of, you know, or this, this, this idea of why some groups have a problem with stories with magical elements in it. You know, it's my Christian faith is not threatened by stories like that. You know, why should we be scared of stories like basically I wanted to prove that the D D is not inherently automatically evil and that there is room for good stories or, you know, godly stories within this genre. It's just a matter of, you know, the creator's choice. So, um, suddenly I knew what my conflict was going to be. And I realized I had a character on my hands and I already had a setting. So I had, I had, I had characters setting and theme. All I needed was a plot. So I, uh, around the year 2000 or so, I started just, Spending my time thinking of the story, thinking of set pieces, and uh, it was all just a mental exercise for a long time. And then uh, around 2006 or so, a good friend of mine um, got into indie publishing, and I and I realized that there was an outlet for me, and that if I just wrote it, you know, people would get to read it, and that was all the encouragement I needed. and And I I really just kind of hit the ground running there. 2007 or so is when I started writing but that had been after about 10 years of development without any real plan of doing anything with it. But I had been spending a long time developing those ideas.
0: Okay. Now let's dive into some of these characters real quick, because obviously the two main characters are Galen and Lucas, and they're the brothers. But then you have the mentor character, which is Elias. Mm -hmm. Um, then you have the, uh, the love interest. Is it Ariana? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. And then there's there's Glamis, who is sort of like um, working behind the scenes of the king, I guess is is one way to put. You have this elderly couple, Abram and Sari, which remind me of Abraham and Sarah, obviously. Uh, a character named Dark Swift, which is this elf that is is that how you say it? Dark Swift. Yep. OK, just incred- <laughs> we're going to talk about Gar- Dark Swift here in a minute. <laughs> and then he's just this this elf that's just like a ninja almost. Yes. Um a bard it is it Orion?
1: Uh, Orion.
0: Orion. Okay. So Orion's the bard, these two princes, uh Branwyn, who is the prince of the elves, mm-hmm. and then Alexander, who's the human prince. Mm-hmm. Um, but really ultimately this story is Galen and Lucas's stories. Mm-hmm. All right. These are two brothers that do not feel worthy in their own different ways uh Galen um his father passed away it was a great knight uh, and he has joined the army and he this is the story is really centered around him but Galen struggles he has flaws he doesn't feel worthy of the redeemer's love and then you have Lucas who, is sort of that prodigal son in a way, but never has that prodigal son type story in the sense that he feels like everybody has given Galen all the affection, that Galen's always first, he's always second. He tries to join the army, he's rejected, he becomes a thief, he becomes homeless, a beggar, and he ends up joining the opposing country's army. Okay? But really... Here's here's what I'm getting at cuz you have and there's a lot more characters in this story folks. You have dwarves, you have elves, you have giants for crying out loud. But other than Galen and Lucas, who was one of the characters that you enjoyed writing the most? Cuz like, you know, as a writer, there are times where I get to a scene I'm like, "Oh man, so and so is going to be in this scene." And why I love writing Iggy there's just times I enjoy being in another character or just writing a scene with another character. And I look forward to this scene. So what are some of your favorite characters that you enjoyed writing and why?
1: Uh, My number one easy answer to that is Orion. He's the bard character. Um, I just really enjoy him. I think he's, he's someone who he's, he's always got a smile on his face. Uh, You never quite know what he's up to. He's a little bit of an, uh, of a of an unreliable narrator you you know um he's uh he also seems to know everybody wherever he goes and um but also has kind of at least a feigned nonchalance as if he's making it up all along you're not quite sure if that's true or not uh i just i just find him a lot of fun so uh orion orion's my guy uh my second choice is dark swift because i just think he's i think he's just cool i think he's bad to the bone
0: all right, well, let's talk about two of my favorite characters. Okay. Uh, my favorite characters, other than Lucas and Galen, I thought I thought we, you, the story arc you had with Lucas and Galen were absolutely phenomenal. But sometimes the it's sometimes it's these uh, side characters that that get lost in the mix. And I absolutely I love Dark Swift and I love Elias. Um, Elias is sort of that that mentor. All right. And what I think you're doing here is you do. Um, one of the things I liked about Elias is that, you know, sometimes we get and I think Hollywood does a bad job of this. And I don't know how to say this without making people mad. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think there's any. Any, you know. People know that I did not like The Last Jedi. Because I wanted Legends Luke. And what we got was washed up Luke. And that's my opinion. A lot of people disagree and they love The Last Jedi. And, you know, that that that's fine. But what I like about this is you didn't give us a older type of mentor who was washed up and grumpy. Sure, he's a little thicker thicker around the waist. You even say that in there. <laughs> but this guy still is a leader. He still gets out there, and he's the first to charge in. He's the first to lead. Yes, he may be getting a step slower here and there, but he's a great mentor character in that sense. But his mentoring of Galen, because Galen is sent to him to learn what it means to be a leader in the army, but more importantly, it's his faith in the Redeemer, his faith in God that just stands out and you you're doing a lot of medieval fantasy type things here but i liked elias because you just didn't give us a larger than life hero mentor that can just do everything you gave us a mentor that yeah he has his flaws and his flaws is yeah he's getting older and you did it very subtly in hinting at that and i absolutely love that so Talk about Elias. What was some of your inspiration for Elias? And then we'll get on the dark swift here in a second.
1: Okay. Well, obviously, yes. Th- what I wanted for Elias was to be a voice for the Redeemer. Okay. So, um, like you say, I, I never call the Bible the Bible. I, I never call Jesus Jesus. It's like this world developed its own nomenclature in the way it the way it taught the, the Scripture and the way the Word was spread. I also wanted to, you know, not be so on the nose, give it— um, I think by avoiding those names, I mean, I'm not hiding it. No one's, I'm not tricking, I'm not fooling anybody. We know what we're talking about, but it also, you know, if for someone who's not a believer is going to read this book, I wanted this book to be, you know, a little accessible to them. So um, the idea though, is that I wanted different characters to present different viewpoints, different perspectives. And Galen is someone who's, who's kind of lost spiritually, doesn't know which way he wants to go. And he's got a lot of conflicting thoughts And I wanted characters to be voices to kind of play out these arguments. And um, so Elias is someone who is a believer and does want to see him to come to know the redeemer. You have other people that, um, that don't share that belief and they're not necessarily bad guys, right? You Mm -hmm. don't not, not every, uh, not every person on the good guy side of this story is a believer and uh, not every believer is a good guy. So, I mean, you know, it's not, what I when people hear that this is a Christian fantasy, I think they are. There's a there's a there's a automatic instinct to think that this is a simple story that is like written for kids. And this is a very cut and dry, good and evil Sunday school lesson for little kids. And that's not at all what this is. You know, I have a large cast. I have a complicated plot, interweaving plot lines. It's written at an adult level. I I wrote this for me. The book I wanted to read didn't exist, so I wrote it. And there is subtlety to the to the philosophies and the loyalties of this cast of characters, and I think I represent well maybe some of the debate that's in that's in our public conversation today, um, in terms of uh, trying you know, different influences pulling Galen in different ways while he's trying to figure out what the truth is and what he wants for his own life. And Elias was absolutely going to be that guy for him. Um, I wanted it's I wanted I needed characters to represent different aspects of what otherwise might just be someone's personal private thoughts. But you need to externalize those in fiction so you can have that dialogue and kind of kind of play out these ideas. And so that's what I wanted to do with Elias. And I, I knew that he would always be, you know, like like you're saying, still an active soldier, an active leader, because um, we're picking Galen up very early in his military career, you know. You see yep. him develop uh, as a person, but also as a soldier over the course of this book. And so, uh, Elias was going to be, was you know, just played that role right there.
0: Yeah, um, and I think for this the for Galen and the idea of exploring what is truth and all the different influences that are pour, pulling him at the end of the day, Elias lets him decide. Um, Elias doesn't push him to decide. Elias lets him decide. And you start to see there's, I mean, throughout the entire course of the story, he's doubting Elias. He's still going to do the thing that Elias doesn't think he should do all the way up until literally chapter chapter 20, which is like the last chapter. I mean, you, you really seeing, uh, galen struggle with these influences
1: and 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 central to these conflicts is this idea of magic or magic users you know and and how do you reconcile that with your faith is it um is it in conflict with your faith at all or is that just what some people think and um and you know uh so i've had non-believers non-christians who've read my books and they've enjoyed them. So I, I feel like I've succeeded in writing this for everybody. This And the reason they were able to enjoy them is because I, I'm not preachy in the sense that I'm using my power as the author to declare to the reader, this is what's right. And if you believe anything else, you're wrong. I don't do that. Uh, I, I'm, I don't so much answer questions as I just have a bunch of people asking different questions. And the question is asked. And, it, and it's just kind of left to the character to navigate through it. And I, and, uh, I know I did that on purpose and, um, and from the feedback I've gotten, I have to think that I succeeded at least to some degree. So,
0: yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think you have succeeded in that. You know, I always felt sorry for Lucas because Lucas is on a dark path. Now let
1: me, let me stop you right there. Go ahead. I, I enjoyed writing Lucas for sadistic reasons. (laughs) Okay. So let me ask you a question. Are you familiar with the X-Files?
0: i am very very familiar with the x-files we're gonna have to do a show on it sometime
1: me and you hey i'm your guy okay i have all the x-files in fact i just completed a total rewatch with my son so we could see them all one of my favorite probably my favorite supporting character in the x-files is (laughs) Crychek. i love Crychek, and the reason why i love Crychek is because bad stuff happens to him all the time (laughs) right like like what comes to mind is i don't some random episode Krychek and Mulder are in the car having a dialogue scene, and in most cases, the dialogue would end and maybe Krychek gets out of the car and leaves. But in this case, Mulder just punches him in the face, and that's how the scene ends, right? So it's like, whatever happens, something bad is going to happen to this guy. Sometimes he gets his arm sawed off in Russia for the black (laughs) oil or something. I don't know. So I took that Krychek approach to Lucas. I decided he was my crycheck, and whatever scene he was in was going to end with him getting beat up in some way. Every scene he was going to be taking a loss. Uh, so I definitely was channeling Crycheck in the X Files when I was thinking of that.
0: Nice, nice, and and that is true because I just keep thinking as I read this. I was like, man, how much more pitiful can this guy's life get?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and hey, then interesting. Go ahead.
0: Right there when I get to the end, and I'm thinking, oh. There's a moment of hope. And then you just, I mean, That's folks, right. <laughs> this character starts out as a beggar, all right, homeless. And it just goes downhill from there. And you think, I mean, you're not starting this guy at the top of some nobleman's son or anything. You're starting at the bottom. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then right there when you have that moment of hope, you realize, it's not possible. And I'm not giving a spoiler there folks. I mean, you have to read this to understand. All right, let's get on the dark swift. Now I like dark swift for a number of reasons. Dark Zift is that character that he's just, he just shows up and kicks butt. He, he is an elf, a little darker skinned elf. And he, um, he just, he, he shows up and he's, He's protecting people. So you have sort of this, you know, dystopian type thread in a medieval world where the queen is starting to pretty much shut down people who are followers of the way. And so it's sort of like almost like this. um, You know, they're having to form this underground church, which they do. They form an underground church. And the churches are starting to get burned alive and, you know, and, you know, followers are being executed. They're being told to renounce their faith. And all of a sudden, this guy just shows up and he's hoping to, he's helping these people in the underground church. But he can kick butt. But one thing I liked about him is he, while he takes a beating, there's times where he has to basically say, I have to rest because I am so... I beat up. I'm so hurt. And I think, I think you're doing a lot of good things there because, you know, we love immortal characters, but we all love characters who also sort of take a beating and, they're, you know, like nothing against Die Hard. I love, you know, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you, we don't ever see him take a break, you know, and, and I love the movies. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, this guy has to take that break because he's been beat up so bad. Right. And so, you know, what is sort of your influence here with, um with Dark Swift and what's going on and, and what made you kind of get to that point to where you're going to say, okay, this guy, he can take a beating, he can kick butt, but he needs to rejuvenate himself in a way before he gets back into the fight.
1: Well, my, my my take on Darkson was really simple um he he's he's and you said it earlier he's a dark elf ninja that that's the high concept dark elf ninja how cool is that that's all that gives you all the imagery you need and he's exactly as cool he's as cool as you think that could possibly be um uh i um i wrote with the intent of like all right i'm gonna make this guy my my breakout star because of how good of a fighter he is you know so he's he, he's just an acrobatic swords flying around everywhere. He's spinning and kicking. And he's just like this awesome martial artist, uh, trained assassin, this trained killer. Uh, Dark Swift, of course, not his real name. He's got an elven name we can't pronounce. So, you know, this is the, the name that the guild gave him. So that's what we go with. Um, I just wanted him to be a really good fighter and he's lethal. He's very lethal. Yet he's he's helping the followers. But he's he doesn't seem to have any problem with killing a lot of people. So it's going to be interesting to follow his art over the course of the whole trilogy. OK, he like there's more to his story. He's he's never a major character, but but track him through the trilogy. Um, So I i wanted him to uh, I wanted him to be that guy in the shadows. Um, So this this city where Abram and Sari are, where the the queen is has uh outlawed the way and there's the underground uh system you know to help save the believers in this city the name of this city is burn uh spell with a y and I basically took the attitude of okay burn is Gotham and Dark Swift is Batman
0: nice. so
1: I wanted to, that I that that was kind of my mentality as I was writing the character I was going for that kind of cool uh you know Dark Avenger in the city kind of vibe but like Batman, you know, he's not superpowered. He's just a dude. And so, uh, yeah, he's going to take his lumps and then he has to, he has to take time to heal. Um, but really I didn't give that a lot of thought, you know, um, cause I never saw him as superpowered and of course he needed to rest. And those, and he, you see him resting at times when I needed him to have dialogue scenes with other characters anyway. So it just kind of, that all just kind of flowed naturally for me. So
0: nice, nice. I like that. And you know, <sighs> I think I think he makes a good action character uh, because of that. I think some of the one of the things that frustrates me about um, a lot of superhero movies at times is is they they just don't they just everything seems larger than life and nobody takes a lump. And I think I think the Avengers have done a good job of that at times, but there's an other times where I'm just like, okay, this character would be totally worn down. And I think the Batman approach. Uh, is a genius approach to it. I, I think that was a good way to go. Now, you know, you're doing a lot of good Okay, so
1: Can I just back to Lucas for a second? Can I yeah. go back to Lucas?
0: Yeah, let's go back to Lucas for a second.
1: Okay, I just want to say that he really took me by surprise in this first book. Um, I never gave him a lot of thought in my pre-planning. He was always just going to be the bad guy, right? He was you got a good brother and a bad brother and they're going to fight. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> but uh so and where um, I was going to pick up his story at, at his first appearance early in the book, it kept getting moved. It kept getting pushed. And we didn't see that until more like the middle of the book, because I kept backing up where we pick up his story. Mm. And so all the stuff where he's on the streets and all that kind of stuff, I, that came that Those were late ideas. Those came later in the process. And so um, I, I all that worked out really well. The whole idea of um, him and Galen. Uh, intersecting with each other early in the story that happened organically. As I was just writing the two threads, I realized where this could go. So I started angling toward it. It wasn't necessarily pre-planned, but um, I think it worked for the structure of the story. And, um, and uh, the end result though, at the end of writing this book was that Lucas came across as a lot more of a sympathetic character, than I ever really intended. I mean, he just came to he came to life during the writing process. So he's one of those pleasant discoveries that you have as a writer, where they all kind of take you by surprise sometimes. So, so uh, I really enjoyed the Lucas that I ended up with, and it was much uh, a much richer character than than what my poor planning had in store. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I think sometimes the best characters and the best parts of a story are the ones especially when we're struggling is when the na- the the writing process just sort of takes it over and you sort of as a writer and you know this and I'll speak writer talk other people who aren't writers won't really get this but sometimes you just have to listen to the story and those are the best in my opinion those are the best characters um sometimes they come out because you know they're just a natural part of the process now one of the things I like about this book is while you're hitting a lot of the things that fantasy hits, you're also avoiding a lot of cliches at times too. And I think that's, I think that's very good. And I, I, I want to talk about the King for a moment Okay. because so, so, sometimes in fantasy you get the reluctant King and people are plotting behind his back and that's not really the case here in my opinion i think the guy's just aloof (laughs) i think he's just completely out of touch i think he's uninterested in what's going on he doesn't believe it he's not reluctant he's just sort of no that can't he's in denial and i think a lot of his counsel Especially Glamis. Now Glamis has his own thing going on. We'll talk about Glamis in the course of talking about this, but I think Glamis is just embarrassed half the time by how about by, by what he's just he doesn't seem to remember. He doesn't seem to be paying attention. I don't really know what's going on with with King Jeffrey here. So why don't you just talk a little bit about about his development as a, as a, as a character, because he's not in this a ton, but his actions or his inaction really seems to help drive the story of what's going on here and what Glamis is, is doing sort of behind the scenes. Can you explain Glamis real quick for our listeners? How do you see Glamis?
1: Okay. Glamis. I pronounce him Glamis, but that doesn't Glums. mean I'm right. It doesn't mean I'm right. I just, you know, <laughs> that's the nature of the written word. Uh, um, how, do, how do I see Glamis? Uh Glamis or Glamis, uh is, um, let's see, how much do I want to give away? He's, <laughs> um, he is someone who has a long history with Orion and Darksworth. By the way, those three characters, Orion, Darksworth, and Glamis, those were player characters in the early eighties in my old D and D campaign. So those are my three legacy characters that I kind of imported and got to play with. So the 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 fact that they have a shared history is referenced in the story, but that's kind of where it all comes from. Um, he's, uh, he's a wizard. He's a sorcerer. And because of the way, right. The teachings from the world of Adam brought to this world by St. Galahad, um, by the way, he was sainted in this world after he died. Um, so, um, he uh, he has to keep his his sorcerous ways s- secret. So he's yep. working in the king's court. He's kind of the manipulator behind the throne. He's the spy master for the kingdom, and he's he's also answering to his wizard council. And he's got a different allegiance and a different objective that the king is not aware of. But because of the king's personality and because of Glamis's agenda, he's he at least tries to. Be the one controlling the, the governance and controlling the meetings and everything. Um, as far as Jeffrey himself, uh, it's kind of funny. I don't know how many of your listeners or your viewers are going to um, understand when I say this, but on video, you see, I'm actually wearing a Brian Wilson uh, t-shirt uh, for those that are familiar with Brian Wilson's personality and his mental state and everything else. I wrote King Jeffrey as if he were Brian Wilson. Uh, that's I, you know, I just to kind of, to you like you what a trick like a shorthand that I use for minor characters is not only do they have a role in the story and like a plot reason I need them there but then to bring them to life I like base it on a personality that I can reference and that helps shape his his mannerisms his little character business and his and his speech patterns all that kind of stuff so he was uh Brian Wilson and it's great that you said that yes he's aloof it looks like he's clueless but he might not be, he might actually be very sharp and aware of what's going on, but he just doesn't bother interacting very well with people around him. So um, uh, that's kind of what I went for there. Now, I, I did uh, write him uh, as as rather a, a weak ruler because I wanted to show Glamis' role of kind of how he's controlling things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it stays that way over the course of the trilogy so these are these are all characters that you know a lot of them most of them i would say if not a complete arc at least have some sort of change between the beginning of the story and the end
0: nice now all right let's talk about your magic systems here okay um because you know i think it was orion that was talking to galen at one point Mm -hmm. and he was explaining you know there are actually three three or four different types of Of magic you know there's there's natural magic so go into detail about uh sort of how your magic works Uh, because galen has this this feather uh that's been given to him that's not really this happens very early in the story folks like the first or second chapter so this isn't really a spoiler uh but there's some magic that's happening here and talk about what you know your view of of how the magic system is, is breaking down and how you use it to the rules of the magic system. If we want to get into the whole Brandon Sanderson debate about whether or not magic needs rules and things like that, but, and how it's used to solve conflict, uh, because I'm not seeing a lot of rules, but I'm, am seeing magic viewed and, and the attitude towards magic, which I think is a little different than, than i've seen in fantasy before sometimes you know fantasy their magics was like lord of the rings like we don't understand how gandalf does the magic sometimes there's a lot of rules in magic like harry potter and things like that um you know the force is a magic system in a sense uh but here it's the attitude towards magic and whether it's good whether it's bad so go to talk a little bit about your magic system
1: okay let me see if i can do this um so first of all, you know, I believe in the word of God, um, yeah. I believe in the infallible word of God, and there is scripture that absolutely addresses the evil and the dangers of things like witchcraft and seers and things like that. And that has to be taken seriously. And I think that there, there is a dark aspect to the world we live in where that scripture applies. I don't think that it literally means that you can't watch Peter Pan, because there's pixie dust, and you can't watch Alice in Wonderland, because you know the magic. You know, I, I, that fairy tale magic is different. That's just make believe. Yeah. You know, I can separate that. Um, so, but in this world that I've created in my stories, that kind of magic does exist and is real. So, um, and so, but I, you know, obviously, I want to. I want to create room in my storytelling for magic to be used, respectful of the fact that the that the bible's present in this world but I and I don't want to go against it. So I basically I needed a system where there was kind of a good side and a and a and an evil side and maybe a neutral side. And so um I the distinction made is that it the distinction is where the power comes from. Okay? And so sorcery is you 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 are um, neg- the act of spell casting is actually an act of negotiation with dark powers in the pit. And you are making a pact with them. And that, and they are temporarily granting you power in the moment. And that's a debt that you will have to pay later. And then the other side of that is simply um, is is simply what some people in this world call holy magic, but believers don't see it that way at all. Maybe it's miracle working. But there are supernatural powers that come from the creator and that the power is never given to the spellcaster, but rather is a conduit of the power from, from above. And they're just an instrument and that flows through them. And that's kind of like the good side of magic. So, but then I also had this character, this bard character who, um, could weave magical effects into his music. And it's like, this guy's not evil. He's not necessarily a believer. How is this working? And so just I feel like. um, If the world was created by God with his power, then at least early in the existence of this world, there's going to be some of that residual power just around us. And it's a case of can you tap into it? Eventually that that residual creative power dissipates and is gone. Same thing happened in the world of Adam. In fact, it was at the fall of Camelot that the final act of magic was ever cast in the world of Adam that sent Galahad, saved him from the fall of of Camelot. He just happened to have his Bible with him and he ended up in this world. That's the backstory. Does not play into the plot of this book, but that's kind of what I came up with to kind of, you know, get the Bible here and why the name Galahad is relevant to the history of this world. But anyway, um, so... So those were the three sides. And then to have a musician be the one to explain it um, really brought it into focus for me. Because as he explained to Galen, you know, what is music? Music is the artful manipulation of the air around us. Like the very air we breathe is the medium that music uses. It's just a matter of do you have the tools and the skills to, to create that music? And do you have the discipline to learn the music? and even um something like sheet music anybody in the world can look at a piece of sheet music and go that's sheet music but you don't it doesn't necessarily mean anything for you unless you're a musician and you know how to read it so all that can apply to spells spell books magic and um and so you. Um, this residual creative energy that's kind of like the natural magic that's neither evil nor good. It's just kind of it's it's around us if you know how to tap into it. To me, it's just like being a musician. Anybody can be a musician, but you have to be willing and able to put in the discipline and the practice in the years. To And some are natural at it. Some are better than others. Others have different limits to their talent and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's kind of how I I, I structured it all.
0: All right, well, that, let's makes pull, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Now, these books are all in Kindle limited. Is that correct?
1: Yes, they're in Kindle and paperback. Yep.
0: Okay, and they're available out there on Amazon. So we're going to link to those. Last question, let's close with this. What do you hope readers take away from this story when they, uh, when they leave it?
1: Well, ultimately, this is um, an exploration of one's faith and their themes have to do with duty, responsibility, um, salvation, temptation. Um, let me say this, like I, I just finished the trilogy, like the third book came out earlier this year. And I set up a challenge for myself with this first book by introducing such a large cast. Of course, the challenge you set for yourself is, can you do justice to all these characters? Or, or is can do you have something for them to do that's worthwhile and interesting every single one of them for the entire series and what kind of ending are you going to give them and um i absolutely i just have to say love the the way this whole series ends i think every character got exactly the correct ending for that character and um and without being preachy and without using my author voice to force people to you know to, you know, understand that this is what I think is right. I was—I I think I've done a good job of showing the consequences of your choices, and, um, and in, <laughs> um, while incorporating, uh, you know, my Christian belief, my Christian faith. There's a lot I want to say right here, but I, I have to—I I have to watch the spoilers because a lot of the elements I'm thinking of are introduced in the second book and resolved in the third book. Um, But it's, um, all I can say is, it's, it's a story of two different brothers, and they each have a spiritual journey. And there are different consequences based on the choices they make. And and meanwhile, you have the stories fleshed out with a complete cast of characters that have different, different ideas on what those choices should be. So Um, I just um, I'm very pleased with it. You know, uh, the first book honestly surpassed my expectations. My brother's keeper did. And it kind of made me nervous because it came out better, honestly, better than I expected. And I was I was like, oh, no, what if now people expect too much from me? (laughs) Like, what if the story I have planned isn't going to live up to this first book? Uh, Like everybody's going to hate me. Um, But I can tell you that each book is better than the one before it. And I'm so thrilled with the ending. I can't wait for you to get to the third book in the series because I want to hear all your thoughts of what happened to all these characters in the end.
0: You definitely left me hanging with several of the characters. Um, now, I mean, you did a good job in the epilogue of kind of touching on each one of them. But uh, enough to, to leave me thirsty for more. Uh, David, I think this is a great book. I think you're off to a great start with this. Uh, folks, I'm going to leave the links in the show notes, uh, for all this. And of course we'll drop them into the Facebook group as well. I I don't do a ton of these. Go ahead.
1: Um, the first editions of the first two books were published by a different company and that change in publishers has made it hard to get those off of Amazon. So (laughs) there's a risk of buying the wrong edition. And I don't want people to do that because the second editions have been Not only corrected, but um, also revised, like I made changes after I wrote the third book. So I was able to go back and tighten up the continuity of the whole series. So the latest editions are the definitive story that I want you to read. Uh, So if you just go to my website first, it'll take you to the correct Amazon links that you can avoid all risk there if you just go to galahadsdoom.com.
0: Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely leave a link to that in the show notes so we can make sure that people get the, the right editions as well. Yeah, I uh, I, understand, I understand that frustration very well.
1: <laughs> if, if you like Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Dragonlance, King Arthur Legends, you're going to love this story. And if you happen to believe in the gospel of Christ, you're going to love it even more.
0: Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that sounds like a great stopping point. David, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, like I said, we're definitely going to have to have you back on probably sometime this fall, hopefully, and Maybe we can talk some X-Files. that would be a good episode. I'd love it. All right. Everybody, this has been David and JJ, and this has been Geeky Dads. Talk about geeky things. That is a wrap.